0: Good, you guys got a little bit of energy, okay? We started serving coffee again. We're expecting you guys to liven up. We're gonna see hands in the air, praises happening, all sorts of good stuff. Hey, listen, uh, Harry loves his group, okay? He talked about it on camera right here, but he talks about it to everybody else that he knows as well. We've got hundreds of other people that are enjoying their community group right now, and I want you to know that you will too, okay? Um, Harry described our strategy for groups. What we're hoping happens is, is that through the, groups, you guys all get connected, myself included, we all get connected to God's word and to God's people, okay? And then what we want to happen is that our spiritual lives grow, um, our relationships with one another grow, and the size of our group grows so that ultimately we can multiply groups and even more people can experience the love of God through community, Listen, January and August are not the only times you can get signed up for a group, but they are by far the best times that you can get signed up for a group. Because if you sign up right now, you'll be launching in as the group begins meeting. You'll be joining with other people, and you'll have an entire semester um, to figure things out and find out if this is a great fit for you. Listen, if you're interested in signing up for a group, just scan that QR code in the seat back in front of you. Um, It'll take you to a place where you can click to. to to join a group or even just to learn a little bit more information about groups, that would be a great step for you to take. Um, That that code is also a place that you can can go to give. Um, You can go to just let us know that you are here. You can send us some prayer requests. You can do lots of things from that place. So be sure to check that out. If at any point in the sermon you get bored, that will give you something that you can do to occupy your time. Hey, did you guys notice anything different when you walked in the building today? Anybody? Okay, two people noticed that we completely changed the paint color in the entire church, okay? That's great. I'm glad you guys are paying attention. Did anybody else see that? Yeah, it's a lot, yes, less yellow, okay? It's a lot more gray. We got lots of good stuff happening right now. We're gonna be finishing up some of the details this week and really, you're gonna see all year long as we begin making some changes. That's because of your generosity um, in 2021 that we've been able to do that and, and above and beyond that, okay, more important than the paint color on our walls, it's because of your generosity in 2021 that we are able to send $25,000 to the CORE Foundation. <laughs> to bless the people of Haiti. Man, I love this church. I love what God is doing through it. We're excited about that. Thank you so much for trusting us with your gifts so that we can make a kingdom impact on the world. Hey, listen, we're in week two of a series that we're calling for. And it's throughout this series that we're being really intentional about declaring what we as a church are for. Each and every week we're picking a specific thing and we're we're unpacking that. We're learning how to embrace that so that we can we can make sure that that's our reputation in the community, in the world, because it's something that God desires for us. Last week, we talked about how we as a church want to be known for what? Does anybody remember? Joy. joy okay. That's great. I don't know who said that, but you get an A-plus at church today. Okay, it was Joy that said that. She cheated just a little bit because her name and all that kind of stuff. But that's what we did. We talked about joy last week. And today we're gonna be talking about how we as a church desperately, 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 we want to be known for authenticity, okay? Authenticity just means this, it means that we're real, it means that that we're genuine, it means that we're honest, it means that we're a little bit vulnerable about who we are and, and what's going on in our lives. Here's the problem. The the problem is that our world keeps creating new and exciting ways to help us avoid being vulnerable, okay? Let me give you an example right here. I saw a preview of this show the other day. Anybody seen this? It's called Alter Ego. Nobody's watched this yet, okay? Preview must not have been that good. Okay, one person watched this show, okay? Come on up here and tell it. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to come up here and tell us all about it. This this show is, is designed, it's advertised to be the world's first avatar singing competition, okay? What that means is that contestants like this, they create a, a version of themselves, okay? An avatar, a cartoon that, that actually performs as them. You see, they get to go behind closed doors, they get to sing, they get to perform, But but it's the character that everybody gets to interact with. You see, they don't ever have to stand on stage, they don't have to show the judges what they look like. They don't, they don't even have to reveal the parts of themselves that make them feel vulnerable. They're able to hide that behind a cartoon version of themselves. Can anybody think of any reason why this may be dangerous? Okay, The show in and of itself has a pretty good premise, but, but the problem is that we're encouraging people and equipping people to bury their true selves behind a made-up version they want everybody else to see, a version that doesn't have any flaws. Listen, that's not the only place this is happening. I don't know if any of you have jumped onto the metaverse, but it's an entire world that's created with this in mind. It's a a virtual world where you can interact with the world, where where you can do business, where you can even attend church behind the guise of a character. Now listen, I I don't wanna come across as being harsh or judgmental in any way if you found refuge in any of these places. These places are not bad. This show is not bad. I'm about three donuts and two belt sizes away from checking out the metaverse for myself. But here's what I am saying. I am saying that it is encouraging a culture of fiction and deceit. Maybe you don't have an avatar, maybe you don't have a character that you present to the world, but I bet you find a way to do this in another way. See, maybe on social media you only share certain photos or certain activities or certain events, certain family outings that you want people to see because you're trying to create a narrative of a person that you want people to see you as. Maybe you work hard to create a situation where your Thursday and your Friday nightlife is separate from your Sunday morning experience because you wanna create an inauthentic version of yourself that you can hide behind when you're in this place or maybe this one. Listen, this is the most relatable to me. Maybe you've shown up at church and you've had a car full of kids and you have fought to the death in the car, wringing your children's necks over all the things that are being said and done. But when you pull into the church parking lot, you look at your kids and you say, you cut it out and act like we love each other. (laughs) And then you smile and you walk into the church and you have a great time. Listen, social media and virtual reality are advanced tools for a problem that has always been around and that will always be around. But what God desires is not more tools to help us cover up who we really are. What he desires and what he needs is authenticity. Because it's in authenticity that get this: God provides acceptance, he provides love and he provides the power to overcome the things that we are struggling with. Look at your neighbor and say, let's get real. Okay, got a little bit of participation there. That's good. Let's get real. Listen, we're going we're gonna to get real today. And in order to do that, we're going to dive into a story in the Bible that is, is probably one of the most shocking stories in the entire New Testament. Because in Acts chapter four, where this story is found, we, we find all about the dangers of faking it in front of one another, in front of God, and in front of the church. So if you've got your Bibles or your devices, you can go ahead and open up to Acts chapter four. Let me give you a little bit of background. Okay, the story of Acts, the book of Acts is all about the early church. As a matter of fact, this story that we're talking about today is the very first time that the author of Acts actually introduces the idea of church. They use that word to designate a community of believers that are coming together on a regular basis. But he does more than that, he also describes what that church looks like. This is what he says throughout the book of Acts. He says as a group, uh, that church is a group that was one in heart and mind. He says that the early church was a group that shared what they had with one another. And it says that the early church was a place that saw God move powerfully through the generosity of its members. You see in chapter four, verses 36 and 37, it actually gives us an example of somebody who did all of this and more. Let me read that to you. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned and he brought the money and he placed it, he put it at the apostles' feet. See, he sold property and he gave the money to God's work through the church. Let me tell you something, this is something I've seen time and time and time again in the church. People that have passed away and left everything they have to the church. People that have made incredibly generous donations because they believe in what God is doing in this place. People that are struggling in in big ways but still find a way to contribute financially to the mission and the goals of the church. Let me tell you something, This, this was and is never required. But it is an incredible act of faith and love. You see, it's contagious. It's humbling and it's life-changing, but it also creates another situation. It creates a problem of envy in the church. That's how Acts chapter five starts. Let's read the first couple of verses together. It says this, now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property, just like Barnabas did With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. See, Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a piece of land just like Barnabas did, and they made a a generous donation to the church. But rather than being honest about the gift, they hid the truth and, and they deceptively tried to convince the church and God that they were giving the full amount. Why? Because they wanted the recognition that Barnabas had without the commitment. They wanted the reputation, they wanted the praise, they wanted the merit without the sacrifice. I want you to look at what happens next in the story, verse three and verse four. It says, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. You see, here's what Peter's words do. They make it clear that, that the land was was theirs. It belonged to them. They could keep it, they could sell it, it did not matter. And once they sold the land, the money that they received was theirs to do with whatever they wanted to do with it. Buy an Xbox, bury it in the backyard, go to the Georgia Alabama game. It doesn't matter. It belongs to you. You see, Peter in the early church, they weren't creating some binding law for every person to rid themselves of property and possessions for the benefit of the church. That's just what some people chose to do. But what you couldn't do was lie about it and take credit for something that wasn't true. You could not make yourself feel or appear more self-righteous because of your act. I want you to think back to a time that you were caught red-handed, you were caught in a lie. Can everybody think of something like that? Okay, the worst one for me is when I was about eight years old, my parents were outside, they were talking to the neighbors, and I had this brilliant idea, this is the perfect way to not have to take a shower. You know they're occupied they're busy they're they're tied up and so what i did was i ran in and i put my pajamas on and i ran back into the living room and i said i'm done i smell good i don't have to worry about that anymore okay eight-year-old boys are disgusting my mom came in and she started to look she had just done laundry that day <laughs> you know what that means there was no dirty towel and no dirty washcloth they caught me red-handed and as soon as that happened, they, they tried to catch me in the lie and my hands began to sweat and I began to get nervous and I held on to that lie for dear life trying to find a way out. Listen, Ananias has a similar reaction, but, but on a much larger scale. See, this is what happens in verses five and six. This is when Ananias heard this. When he was caught red-handed, he fell down and He died. He fell down and he died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Listen, that escalated pretty quickly, didn't it? From a medical point of view, all evidence points to the fact that he died of a heart failure because of the shock of the situation, but it caused fear to rattle the group. That makes sense, right? Like we're going to take communion in a few minutes and we've got these little cups of juice and this little piece of bread. And I want you to imagine the person next to you takes that, those elements and eats it, and then falls over and dies. Are you going to take those elements for yourself? I mean, it probably wasn't related. It was probably something else that was going on, but man, why take the risk, right? Well, that's what happens here. They've They've experienced a death and it's caused fear to rattle inside the entire group. They're panicked. They're scared of what this means. So they rush in and they bury the body. This isn't uncommon in that culture, in that time, but in their hurry, they either forgot, chose not to, or were not able to communicate what had happened to Ananias' wife. Let's read the rest of the story and find out exactly what happens there, starting in verse seven. It says, about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Do you see why we don't preach on this text on a very regular basis? This is tough. This is something I've had to spend some time with. There's there's death and killing and a lot of stuff that happens in the Old Testament, but this is the New Testament church that's struggling in a very real way. You see, when Sapphira comes back in, Peter gets straight to the point. He doesn't ask her about her husband. He doesn't explain what happened to her husband. Instead, he gets straight to the heart of the matter and asks her about the money. He gives her an opportunity to tell the truth but instead she lies. The death of Ananias may have come as a shock to Peter, but listen, he's had three hours to think about what just happened. And as a result, he's recognized God's divine judgment in this situation. And when Sapphira lies, he recognizes that the same fate is waiting for her. And he boldly tells her that. You see, they had attempted to deceive God and the church and one another, and they paid the price for it. And what could this story possibly have to do with us? Well, we're gonna pass the offering bags in just a minute so that we can find out. <laughs> no, this story isn't about money, okay? It's, this story is all about deceit. The tragic story emphasizes a really important concept. This is our sermon in a sentence. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. God won't bless who you pretend to be. God won't bless who you pretend to be. Listen, you probably won't die for it, okay? Odds are you're not gonna drop down dead in church for for lying about who you are, for presenting an image, for hiding behind a character, but God certainly won't bless it. You see, what this story tells me is that is that there's no place in God's house for inauthenticity. There's no place in God's house for deception or self-promotion when we hide who we truly are from God, from the church, and from one another, we miss out on God's blessing, God's guidance, and God's continued work through us. Here's the beauty of that, okay? God wants the real us. He wants the real, messy, imperfect version of ourselves that we try and keep hidden from everybody else. Am I saying that we need to take turns and I'll stand up here on the stage with a microphone and confess our deepest, darkest secrets to everybody in the church? That's not what I'm saying at all. But I am saying that there's some key truths that we can take from this that will allow us to walk closer and closer to authenticity the way God wants us to. Here's the first one, God knows what you won't show. God knows what you won't show. You see, God was not fooled by Ananias and Sapphira's deceit, and he's not fooled by ours either. He's through, he sees through our charade, and, and if we would just be honest, he wants to love us through it. That's why the Bible tells us this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. It says, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. In other words, God's love and our salvation, none of that depends on us. It doesn't depend on our reputation. It doesn't depend on what everybody else thinks about us. It depends on his love, his grace, and only his love and his grace. See, we are approved by God. We're not only approved to be sons and daughters. That's a big piece of it but we're approved to be used to make a difference in this world because of what God has in store for us. And his approval changes the way we live. Listen, years ago, the 10-year challenge is popular right now. It was about 10 years ago that that I went through an assessment process um, to to look at the idea of becoming a church planner. I had some people that pushed me through this assessment. I didn't know that I was really ready for it, but I, I went through the process anyway And when I went there, I was told that for a whole week, my wife and I would have one person that was watching us, judging us, and trying to determine if we were good candidates to plant a church. Here's the catch, I didn't know who that assessor was. I didn't know who it was that was gonna be watching me, I just knew there was gonna be somebody. And so we showed up and we spent a whole week going through this process, and they would would ask us controversial questions in a group just to see how we handled it, And as soon as somebody would walk up, I would think that's probably my assessor. And I would say something that I thought was profound but was really absolutely horrible and meaningless. But then I would settle down again. And then somebody else would walk up and I would immediately try and win over their approval by by saying something profound, something that was theologically deep. And then they would walk away and I would go back to normal. Then somebody else would come and the same thing would happen over and over and over. It was absolutely exhausting and I'm not planting a church, okay? But let me tell you, there was another guy that was there. I met him at the, at the um, assessment and he was calm and he was collected and he was cool. And I asked him one day, I said, why are you so calm? Like, don't you feel the weight that I feel? And this is what he told me. He said, I showed up and I didn't feel real well. My assessor made himself known to me and told me I had already passed and I didn't have to worry about it. That changed the way he approached things because he had already been approved and he didn't have to fight for the approval of anybody else. Nobody else's opinion mattered because the one person who is making a decision said you're already in. Let me tell you something. If we already have the approval of God, then why does everybody else's opinion matter? All we've got to do is live as people that are approved by God and know that he loves us and know that he cares about us and know that he wants to use us and that'll influence everything about us. Pastor and author Craig Rochelle, he says it this way, becoming obsessed with what other people think about you is the fastest way to forget what God thinks about you. You see, deceit tries to convince everybody else that you're worthy, that you deserve God's love, that you deserve to be here. But authenticity embraces the fact that God already says that we are. Living from a place of acceptance gives us the courage to embrace authenticity. Here's the second thing that we learn so that we can become more authentic. The perfect church does not exist. The perfect church does not exist. You see, the early church, they launched a worldwide movement. They, they experienced unity and passion and community in a way that you and I can only dream about. But even in that church, the story of Ananias and Sapphira reveals to us that, that they struggled with the same things we struggle with, pride, jealousy, greed, and more. Here's the thing, when you look at churches from a distance, they look really, really good. When you start attending a church, it's intimidating because you think everybody else has their act together. And as you get involved and you sit in a seat, you begin to think you were the only person here that has sin and shame and struggles, and you're overwhelmed by that but I can guarantee you with a high degree of certainty that no church is perfect because no person is perfect. See, it's kind of like when I'm watching TV, I notice that everything is, is perfect and everything happens just the way it's supposed to happen. And as a person who fumbles over their words in public on a very regular basis, I want to find out how they do that. You know how you find out how they do that? You go search for bloopers on YouTube. And you get to see that the polished version that you see is not the reality. It took them four, five, six, seven, eight takes to get there because they're real people who struggle, who trip, who fall down, who are attacked by bugs, who forget their lines, and who say something inappropriate. As soon as you peek behind the curtain, these people become relatable, normal, and even awkward. Listen, the same thing is true in the church. The more time you spend with people, the more time you spend hearing people's stories, the more time you invest putting yourself in environments where you can get to know the real version of the people that you see on Sunday mornings, the more you realize they are just as messed up as you are. And there's something encouraging about that. That's why Romans 3.23 says, "'For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God.'" Why does this matter? Because it proclaims that you don't have to be perfect to belong here. It proclaims that your sin, your struggle, your past, it's not gonna ruin the batch, but your authenticity just might make it better. You don't seem convinced, so I wanna make it easier for you. I'm the pastor, and let me tell you something. I struggle with pride, and I struggle with greed, and if you were to ask my family, my kids, they would tell you I have a big struggle with anger. Sometimes my faith is shaky. Sometimes I'm full of doubts and fear. I'm insecure about a lot of things that I look incredibly secure about. I let things bother me that shouldn't bother me. Even worse, I go home on Sundays and you know what? I assess my own personal value and self-worth by how the sermon went, instead of what we just sang about and how Jesus says he loves me. Listen, I'm the pastor and I feel all those things and more. That should tell you something, there are no perfect people in the room. There's only forgiven people. It's okay to not be okay, it's just not okay to stay that way. When we share our authentic selves and get real with people, that's what God's gonna use to get us to a different place and experience his love in a new way. Which leads us to the third and final truth. You can't give half and experience all. You can't give half and experience all. Ananias and Sapphira—they tried and they fail, failed. They learned a lesson the hard way, so that you and I don't have to. The more we hold back about who we really are, the less life change we will experience. But the more authentic we become about who we really are, the more God's Spirit will rest on us and take us to new levels of depth. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, it says it this way. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Listen, I will never ask you to stand up here and proclaim your shame in front of the entire church. But I will tell you that you need to get into an environment where you can do that. At Northridge, the best place for you to get into those environments is through a community group or a serve team. Because what it does is it shrinks the church, it gets you out of rows, it puts you in circles so that you can interact with one another, share stories, get to know one another and reveal who you really are. It won't happen overnight. You're not gonna show up on the first week and all of that happen. but if you'll commit time to it, if you'll allow authenticity to grow, you'll find that that's where God does his greatest work. That's where God's love and grace is felt through others. That's where life change occurs. Showing up on Sunday mornings is great. I love that you're here. This is my favorite part of the entire week. But I want you to know Sunday mornings, that's not even half of what God has in store for you at Northridge Christian Church. You can't give half and expect to experience all. When you take that step of faith to get plugged into community, that's what God is gonna use to bless you, to change your life, to impact you in a deeper way than ever before. Listen, God won't bless who you pretend to be, but he's ready to do an amazing work in the real you. Listen, we wanna be a church that's known for authenticity. And in order to do that, we're willing to abandon the reputation of perfection to get there. The only question is, are you? Are you ready to be known as a person who's authentic, who's real, who God's working in? Let's pray and ask him for that now. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for loving us unconditionally. We thank you for, for working in our lives and for promising that they got our salvation, your love, none of that is dependent upon us. It's, it's all dependent upon you and your love and your grace. And Lord, I pray that in the next few moments, we feel that. I pray that we feel the, the burden of perfection just dropping from our shoulders as we embrace the ability to just be real and authentic and genuine in front of others, in front of the church, and most importantly, in front of you. Thank you so much for showing up in our lives, in our weakest moments, and declaring your love in such a powerful way. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at infonorthridge.online.